Sound effects in this podcast is brought to you by Festlian Studios, BattleBars.com, and Pro Sound, and some of them are made by the Dungeon Master himself. This show is R-rated, so everybody be advised. Hey guys, and welcome back to Nordic D&D, the Ariana Saga. We have reached episode 12. I must say it does feel good that their show officially has been released and now an episode is coming every week and that means that I have a lot of work of editing and playing D&D and who doesn't like playing D&D? Anyway guys, if you like the show, be sure to leave a comment. You can always listen to us on all the podcast platforms and you can also see some videos on YouTube. We have another channel called Nordic D&D The Nerd Hangout, where we goof around, do all kinds of nerdish stuff. Anyway, we have now reached the second of three flashbacks in this series, and we're going to continue the flashback in this episode. But before we get to that, we're going to have a little stop at Camp Lore. So there are many kingdoms. But grandfather, I heard also you have mentioned a couple of times the mountain king. Is he a dwarfish king? You spoke of him in such authority. <laughs> no, he's not a dwarf. And yes, he is something. He is something special. Well, more than other kings. He is what others have called the King of Kings. Wow, does, he, does that mean that everyone has to submit to him? Well, yes, but there are exceptions. Well, it is a form of protection from Ariana. Let me put it like this. The Mountain King rules the entire Ariana as its king. We're all united kingdoms with one king overall. He is a high king of Ariana, created to exist by Valra and Bushka. He is an answer to the prayers of the other kings. When all the missionaries were killed, everyone panicked. For who will now defend Ariana from Grimna and from darkness? Well, Valra prophesied to its followers that the people are enough to fight off Grimna. And you will defend Ariana against evil. But no. The kings wanted more. They wanted more protection and did not believe the words of the god of light. So Valra heard their prayers and blessed the giant in the womb. And released him as the king of kings. The mountain king's domain is in the halls of the first mountain. We know it now as Mountain King Island where he gets his name, the Mountain King. His rule works like this. When there's a threat that can affect all the kingdoms of Ariana, all the kings are to meet and console in the halls of the Mountain King and discuss what rule must affect all. The Mountain King is the new protector of Ariana in the missionary's place. But the Mountain King is not to intervene in the other kingdoms' personal affairs. That is the catch. He cannot stop them warring on one another if they choose, unless it becomes a threat on all of Ariana, or if the war is set to kill off an entire race, then he will interfere. 
like the Inquisition, for example, who tried to do so with the Dragonborn, but his interference had been extremely limited. The Mountain King was established after the Great Arcanian War and after the Dark Age that followed and almost took over Ariana. Many at this point are wondering if the Mountain King will intervene in the slave issue, but he has done nothing in 300 years. Oh, that seems strange. Yes, but the Mountain King does what he feels is right, counseling with the gods. So why is a good question. Why indeed. Anyway guys, this was Camp Lore. Now we're going to continue with the main event. We're going to continue with the flashback. We have reached Hunter's flashback. He's sitting now in bliss, talking to Taugrim. They're bonding. Taugrim wants to know intimate knowledge about this thiefling. And know how did this rebellion start? Well, we just have to listen to this flashback to find that out. We ended last episode when Hadurai had a meeting with someone. Hunter is unaware of this situation, did not tell Dalgrim about this because he didn't know it. But I wanted you, the listeners, to know what happened. Anyway, Hunter is sitting there in bliss in Taugrim's cabin, talking to Taugrim about what happened. And then we went on. When we got a bit deeper into the training area, we heard a loud growl. Oh. It was an owlbear. It came right at us, and Hadarai attacked it with strikes and kicking and punching. And then out of nowhere, two brown bears joined the fight. It was perfect. That was exactly what we were looking for. Victor attacked as well and started slashing at the bear with his greatsword, and Hadarai just kept kicking and punching. I was standing in the back, throwing a few spells and shooting my arrows, and in the end we killed both the owlbear and the two brown bears. So now we had everything we needed for King Vash. We uh, soldered the skins and the heads and so they would keep for later and went on our way to find Richard. Hunter is quite right in the story. They were about to complete the quest given by King Vash. They've gotten the heads and the pelts of a bear and an owl bear. All they needed now was the head of Victor von Nash, the werebear. As they were to continue, night came upon them, and they felt it the need to rest. They all laid down, Victor, Hadarai, and Hunter. But then suddenly something happened when Victor was in watch. Victor, Hunter and Hadarai are resting in Wildleaf Forest. Victor is keeping watch. He then hears a voice coming from the forest. Victor! Victor! <laughs> Come, Victor! Then Victor takes up his weapon and responds. Who calls? A friend, Victor. <laughs> come, come find me, Victor. Victor. Victor looks 
at his sleeping friends and is just about to wake them, puts his hands just about to touch Hunter, but stops, and for some reason chooses not to disturb their rest. Hmm, let's see what this is before waking them. And he enters the forest. Victor! I'm here, Victor! Victor seems more and more drawn to the calling as he goes deeper and deeper into the forest. Who are you? It is me, my love. Come to me, Victor. Uh, I'm coming. And Victor is finding himself in a cave all of a sudden. And when he enters, it looks like a mansion inside. Red carpet floors, torches, and paintings on the walls, and vases, statues, standing on beautiful furniture. And standing in front of him is a beautiful woman, naked in a bare rock, barely covering her. You found me, Victor. Yes, I did, my love. Come, we are meant to be together forever, Victor. Victor takes the beautiful woman in his arms. She embraces him as well. And then the woman looks over to a pond in a cave. And in the reflection you see Victor standing in a normal cave. Holding a woman. Her skin looks decomposed, purple and green. She has infectious wounds all around her body and is almost completely bald with some few long oily hairs far apart on her head. She has a butcher's apron on, hanging low, and she has tumors around her body, and one of them is on the side of her face, making one of her eyes larger than the other, almost popping it out. She has a belly like a pregnant woman. It has open wounds as well, badly infected. She also has nails like claws on her hands, they are black like tar. And then she has body parts of children hanging around her body. They have bite marks from her chewing on them. I love you, my love. <laughs> I love you too. And the woman smiles at the mirror image in the pond. Something has kidnapped Hunter under a spell, taken him into her own command. He's fallen deep. All these things happen again, unaware to Hunter who lies asleep. So it does not tell Taugrim anything about this, but he does notice when he wakes up the next morning. Victor is gone. Well, but one morning Victor was gone. He didn't, he didn't even know or say anything, he, was just, he just disappeared, and we haven't seen him since. Did you know much about him? No, Hatterai is the one who know, knew him the most, and he's a man of few words. I'm pretty sure there's history between Hatterai and Victor, and so Hatterai was sad that he was gone. Or as far as I can tell, he does not show a lot of expressions. Um, but I was, I was sad, because now the muscle was gone, and... He was kind of taking all the damage. But nonetheless, it was strange way to leave. Something happened, I guess. We just never found out what. But So now, there's just the two of us. Me and uh, Hatterai. We gather our stuff, 
and ourselves and went on further into the forest. After a long travel we came by a small house, like a shack. There was a lot of bones in there and skeletons around the house, both animal and humanoid. And as we were standing there we heard someone closing up on us from behind and Hatterai turned quickly around thinking it was Victor, but it wasn't. It was a hooded man who had tracked the werebear to the shack. He was alone and didn't think it was wise to go in after him by himself. And he also refused to aid us in the matter. Three men is not enough, he pointed out and went away into the forest to get more men. We were not afraid. We had come a long way for Richard. So we opened the door to the shack. It was empty, completely empty, no furniture, no nothing. The only thing we saw, uh, except the wooden planks making the ceiling and walls of the shack itself, was a door in the middle of the floor. Not suspicious at all. Hatterai was about to end the when I shouted, STOP! I took a rock and threw it in to see if it triggered a trap or something. It seemed safe. Okay then, and Hatterai went in. And as he did, his weight pushed down a platform in the floor and arrows flew at him. Luckily, with his monk reflexes, he avoided the arrow by backflipping out of there. He looked at me, slightly shaking his head. The rock was too small, I said. And he nodded. Clearly, Hunter. He replied. Then I pushed him softly to the side. Let me take a look, I said. I investigated the entrance and platform and was able to disarm the trap. There you go, Hatterai, now it's safe. But he still hesitated. So I just went in with a smirk smile on my face and both hands in the air. See? I said, and walked in myself and turned around to face him. And then he came in after me. Hatterai went over to the door and ground and opened it. Uh, we heard a fuse going off. He turned and looked at me and, and I just I didn't check there <laughs> yet. And uh, he closed his eyes and, and an explosion went off. <laughs> Throwing me backwards into the wall and had around the opposite direction. We were both okay, but we were quite hurt. We decided to be more careful going forward. The door was blown to pieces. There was a long way down, a steel ladder that luckily was intact. We came down where there was a big open space. It was large and dark, and we had to jump from stones to rocky platforms and to other platforms to move forward. We came to a large platform at one time where we heard some squeaking coming from a hole. I don't know why, but I stuck my hand inside. I guess curiosity got the better of me. And of course, something bit me. That irritated me, so I stuck my hand back inside the hole and cast a fireball inside. The squeaking became more violent and then silence. I burned whatever was in there. I felt a sense of vengeance for the bite. It was satisfying. We then moved on. Some of the platforms were slippery because the stones were so smooth, making it hard to walk on. We came to a large stone-like bridge that had no handrails. It was also smooth by the look of it. It was. I was the first to try and cross it, and I slipped and fell off, falling 25 feet down to another lower platform. I took quite the fall. Luckily, I was able to climb back up to Hatterai. The platforms were luckily enough not as smooth on the sides, making it easy to climb. Uh, 
Hedari was waiting for me on the top. He des- we decided to take a rope and to try to tie it to a rock and tie it among ourselves. So if one is to fall, they won't fall completely off the smooth slippery bridge. We made it over to the other side safe and sound. We tied the rope on the other side as well, so we were able to use it on our way back. On this side was a large platform with high wall-like stones and elevated smaller platforms. We walked through a small corridor and came to an opening where we saw a ladder like the one we entered by, going up to a high platform about 50 feet above us. And as we walked to the next stone five feet high up, we heard a loud roar with mangled words. And a large creature jumped down, striking me with his great axe. It all happened so fast. Hadarai jumps over to defend me by striking the thing, stunning it for a split second. So I managed to get some distance between me and the beast while Hadarai was fighting it in melee. He got some good strikes in it, but the werebear was just stronger than him and he started, Hadarai started looking really bad. He managed to get a bit out of the way and then I just shot it twice, once in the throat and one in the, once in the eye. The beast was dead. We started to cut off his head and take off the fur to bring it back to King Vash. And uh, after we did it, uh, he started to turn into his humanoid form. It was Richard. It all happened so fast. Before we were able to figure out what, what was what, we were in a fight with a werebear who was determined to kill us, so we just defended ourselves. It seems his beast side changed him a lot. Really sad story. Yeah, it did change him a lot, but not entirely. What do you mean? Well, you see, we, we took the stairs we saw earlier. It looked like the way out, and at the top of the stairs we opened a door. Uh, like the one we came by before, and this one wasn't trapped. Uh, I actually checked it thoroughly this time. Uh, we went through and we saw a safe haven, haven of some sort. It was inside a hollow mountain with an opening at the top, letting the sunlight shine down. So there was grass and trees and plants inside, and there was a lot of halflings there. They had heard the fight downstairs and were terrified. The oldest male halfling were in front, and the women and children were in the back. So Richard had enough of his human side left to still be caring for the halflings. Yeah, uh, it seems that way. In his normal human state, he had let the halflings here and gathered them in a secure place, then locking himself in the underground where he turned into the werebear. Smart, really, using his curse to guard the entrance of the halflings. But none of this was known to us, and now he was dead. Richard von Nash, a freeling to the end. Not even a curse was able to stop it. Magnificent. What happened to the halflings? Well, as we were standing there, and one of the elders came and asked if Richards were there, and I said, yeah. And some of the women in the background started crying, asked me, what now then, what happened to us? And some in the back was like, oh, don't kill us, don't kill us, and or oh, enslave us. And Hatteri spoke up and said, shh, we're not here to harm you or imprison you. And I kind of looked at him and think to myself, well, I mean, you know, there is a lot of money in slaves. 
you, you must remember Targaryen. Slavery, was, slavery wasn't that uncommon to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in Angel's Bliss with slaves everywhere. But but Hatteras sounded determined. As for me, I guess I looked at the big picture. It's, I mean, it's best not it was best not to go against Hatteras in this. He he was my way into the king's inner circle, and there was way more money to be made there in the long run. So I went along with it. But I told the elder halfling, who seemed in charge of the others uh, and was talking to us, that if they were able to pay us, we could lead them to a na- new safe spot, thinking at least we can make a little money here. But they had no money. I stayed at him, at him a bit and said, okay, it's your funeral. Uh, I looked at Hatterai, telling him we got, we got what we came for and it's a long trip back to Angel's Place. So, and Hatterai agreed. Wished the little ones a safe journey and we left them there. So you went back to Angel's Bliss? Yeah, um, we just had to make one pit stop. Let me guess, four-way. And ask about the fake money. Yeah, well, my plan wasn't just to ask about it. The general was going to pay. When we came to four-way, it looked like there were more soldiers than before. It was midday when we arrived and we decided to take a stealthy approach. I changed my appearance with a spell and uh, Hatterai hit himself. I went to take a look around thinking to meet uh, Benno, the soldier who did not like uh, the general Breeden, but he was nowhere to be found. In the middle of the town there was a large barrack and a lot of soldiers were training inside. I went in unnoticed, masquerading as a fellow soldier. I tried not to get close to the other soldiers, not to, so they wouldn't become suspicious. I was walking around close to the inner wall, walls, and at one point I found myself where the Christian cages were hanging in the air from a pole. I was able to hide them so not to be seen, and uh, it was time to refresh the spell of disguise. So I turned into my normal self, but before I was able to cast it again, I saw a man inside one of the cages, looking at me deep in the eyes. He was beaten so much that one of his eyes was swollen shut. It looked like one of his legs were broken and his shoulder was dislocated. I had no idea who he was, but he looked at me intensely and he stretched his hand out of the cage, holding something. But he dropped it down to the ground and passed out. I re- recast the spell to turn back into a soldier and grabbed the note. It was a crumbled piece of paper. It was dirty and bloody, it said. The general had the gnomes kill, and it was signed. Sherman. So Benno had been snooping around and found some evidence about the general and got himself captured. Yeah, it seems like it. I tried to shake the cage to wake him up again and talk to him. He became conscious for a while, but it did not matter that I had cut out his tongue. He was not able to talk at all. I told him that I would get him out of there and to hold on, so I left the barracks to get back to Hatterai and tell him what I had found out. We decided to take the time and figure this out and help Benno. 
We scouted out the area to get some overview. We managed to remember their routine by heart to gain some advantage, especially regarding Breeden. We found out that he had a large house just outside the barracks. And he left every morning from his house to the barracks and went to and from his house several times a day. But what the longest away from his house from dawn to noon. And at every dusk, he went personally over to Benno's cage, to which he had a key to sadistically taunt and ridicule him and smack him around. Evil sadist. Indeed. We had to help Benno. So this was our approach. At dawn, when General Breeden had left for work in the barracks, I entered the house and had I kept watch if he was to return. I got in and looked around his office. Going through drawer after drawer, and I found two letters of great interest. The first said, As to your request of buying Gnome Hill, it has been declined. The gnomes of Fourway refuse to sell it and cannot be forced to. And your request of harvesting the steel ore underneath has also been declined, and can only be done by the owner of Gnome Hill. The gnomes feel it will disturb the land's infrastructure, there is nothing more to be done. Land and Home Magistrate of Angel's Bliss, Henry Moore. The other said, Dear cousin, I will take care of your trouble, but I do it my way, without any questions as how it will be done. I will kill them a few at a time, so not to wake too much suspicion, and don't worry, I have an excellent way of getting rid of the bodies. The hill will be yours soon. Fritz. This was the evidence we needed and I, I was bringing it with me to Angel's Bliss. Right as I was done reading the letter, I got the signal from Hatterai that the general was returning to his home. I heard the front door opening, so I hurried to hide in his closet. He came in, walked around a mo- moment, and sat down at his desk, with his feet on it, leaning back on his chair, so he was standing on two legs. I noticed the key he used to open Beno's cage was hanging on his waist. I cast a spell of invisibility and sneaked over to steal the key. I got close to him without him noticing. But when I was to grab the key, he seemed to have felt it. He jumped out of his chair and looked around confused and walked around. I was still invisible and avoided his movement. He scratched his head and took another look around and lost suspicion. He then went back out and I followed short after. I made up with Hatterai and he asked You find anything? I showed him the key and letters, and I said, oh yeah, I did. Now we just need to free Benno. Hatterai responded. Excellent. Was the general any problem? I said, nah, and grinned a bit. We waited until nightfall. I told Hatterai to have our horses ready, and when the general had gone home for the day, I changed my appearance to look just like him, and went inside the barracks to Benno's cage. I opened it, and as I was to take him down from there, a soldier shouted at me, What are you doing? And for a split second, I forgot I had taken the appearance of the general and turned around. Well, I was just... And he broke me off. General, is that you? I'm so sorry, sir. My mistake. I thought you had... I thought you were gone for the day, sir. And, and in the seconds before I was to answer him, it looked like he was coming closer to investigate. If I was really the general, I just reacted, shouting at him. What are you looking at, soldier? Don't just stand there. Help me take this prisoner down. I want to have some fun with him at my home. He replied instantly, yes, sir, sorry, sir, and helped me take him down. Do you want me to uh, help you get him home, sir? 
no, no, I got this. Go back to your post. I have him back in the morning. And yes, sir, of course, sir. He was like, he believed everything I said. So I went off with Benno, completely confident in my skills. And I came outside. I saw Hatterite talking with the real general. He had spotted him from his window. Oh, shit, shit. <laughs> as soon as I was on the other side of the wall, I quickly turned to the east side as the general's house is on the north. I laid Benno down, found a rag, sat down beside him and drew the rag over us as to look like beggars. And I prayed to whatever deity was close enough to hear that none of the other soldiers saw me sitting down. And I just waited. After a few minutes, I saw the general passing by, going to the barracks. Hatterai was walking closer to us. He had spotted us coming out. And he said, hurry, hurry, hurry. And I threw Benno on his horse, jumped onto mine, and we went as fast as the wind. We took the long way to Angel's Bliss, as to avoid the road where there was a plague sign. If Benny was to catch anything, he would not survive for sure. So north it was, and east by the canyon way. When we were out of four-way, we heard alarm bells coming from the distance. Now it was a race against time, for they were most definitely after us. We had a head start. The trip was long, and we had to rest a couple of times, but we hid ourselves well. We came by the two towns, Little Canyon and Canyon, but we avoided to rest there, too public. When we were almost out of the Canyon Way, we saw an ambush not so far off. We had to deal with them if we were to get past them. We discussed an approach. Hatterai spotted three bandits and some cages behind them among some trees. We decided a scare tactic. I got off the horse, put on my demonic helmet with horns, and walked closer to them and cast an illusion of flames around me, shouting with a loud voice. I have come for your souls. And started to run against them. Two of the bandits screamed in fear and ran away. The last one seemed like the leader shouted at the two who ran away. Stand your ground. It was of no avail. So the last one was alone now. We started fighting him. I shot at him and how about punching him? Suddenly out of nowhere two wolves appeared. I was about to shoot them, but then a stranger yelled from one of the cages, They won't harm you. They're with me. And then the wolves attacked the guy, ripping him to shreds. Afterwards, the wolves went to the cage, and there was a man sitting there with kind eyes and a smile on his face. The wolves evaporated. I walked over to the human, asking him, Why are you in a cage? Well, I really don't know. Um... I'm traveling to Angel's Bliss to meet someone, and I was attacked when I arrived here and thrown in a cage. They refused to tell me why. Adarai shouted. They're the general's men. Are you sure? I responded. Yes. He has the same armor underneath the cloak. And the same emblet. It's his, all right. Were they here for you, maybe? Maybe. And what about the caravan of horses? coming from the distance. He apparently had excellent perception. Uh, I was ready to uh, turn around to leave when the stranger grabbed my hand and said, I can help. Get me out of here and we can leave together, untracked. I hesitated for a moment. Uh, how do I, does that man have a key? He sure does. And he threw it over to me. This is your lucky day, stranger. My name is Kettle. Hunter, nice to meet you. 
and I let him out. He jumped onto my horse, had arrived already with Benno and his. Kedal lifted his hands, waving them around, casting a spell, and said, Well, we will pass without a trace. And we were off. I asked him how the spell works as we were riding off. He said, They will not be able to discern where or how we left. It will be like we left in midair. Excellent. After riding a far distance from where we met our new friend, we came to a point where the horses needed resting. And hunger began to strike us, so we decided to rest. We went away from the road a bit into the forest. When we found a nice place, I tied the horses and we went a bit further in. And Kedal stops us and said, Here, this place is perfect. I did not quite know what he meant, and he waved his arms, casting another spell. And a large dome appeared in the air, and all around where we were, shielding us inside, and he said, No one can see or hear us from the outside, as long as we stay within the dome. That may be the case, but we still decided to keep watch. We took turns. I don't remember the order of who took first the last watch. All I remember was my watch. It was the first time it happened. It happened? Yes, my new problem. Ah, I see where you're going. Everything was normal and fine. It was an easy watch, nice and quiet. And suddenly my heart started to race and I started to sweat profusely. I started to hear the heartbeats of Kedal and Hadarai. I went a little bit away from the others to try and get some more air. Then I got the most extreme muscle spasms. The pain was excruciating. Last thing I remember was hearing my own screams changing deeper and deeper until it was a roar. Then I was gone. I blacked out. next thing I remember after that was waking up and seeing Gedal poking me with his staff. I was lying in a ditch covered in blood and of course my first reaction was to check for wounds, but I did not have any. The blood was not mine. I was so confused. Gedal was confused and then I saw Hatterai. I had never seen his eyes so big. He was really confused. He just looked at me with an open mouth and a few seconds he responded. Uh, not your blood? His eyes became bigger and he started to gasping. Oh no, the horses. And he ran off and came right back. <sighs> They're fine. Oh, I was worried that you... Um... And his eyes became big again, looking at me gasping again. Oh shit, Benno. And ran off again and came right back. <sighs> He's also fine. Shit, Hunter, you scared me. Whose blood is that? Could I just stood there shifting his head back and forth between me and Hatterai. Okay, before we go any further, what is going on? I told him that this was the first time this had ever happened, which was not a lie. I told him that I had no idea what was going on, but deep inside I had a suspicion. I remember while we were fighting Richard that he bit me. I don't know much about a lot of things, but getting bit by someone with lycanthropy never ends well. I just had hoped that the bite was not deep and severe enough to have done me any harm. Looks like I was wrong, but I decided to keep it for myself for now. I'm 
was so close to getting into the king's inner circle, and I was not gonna mess it up. Hunter! Hunter! For a moment I slipped away into my inner thoughts, and Hadawai was trying to talk with me. Hunter, what is going on? I responded. I'm not sure. I blacked out and I can't remember, but this blood comes from somewhere. Let's go find the source. Maybe we'll find some clues. They agreed, but Gedal did keep a little more distance from me after that moment. But he did not leave when he had the chance to, but helped us look for clues. Yeah, that sounds like Kethel. Curious, trusting, and always willing to help. Yeah, sure. I just think he's a bit strange, but then again, most people are strange to me. Anyway, uh, in the search there was not much talking. It seemed like we were all separately discerning the situation. I think Hadarai knew as well, but for some reason he never mentioned it. Anyway, we came to a carcass of a torn up deer. It was completely mutilated. Kedal looked at me. Did you kill this deer? I said, yeah, I remember going out for air after not feeling so good and I blacked out. I must still been feeling the after effects from the illness I had earlier and it must have attacked it. I think it was some kind of enemy beast. Kedal looked at me deeply and just nodded and turned, then asked if it was not best we keep going for Angel's Bliss. We agreed it was a good idea to get it back on the road, but we had to eat something first. Hadarai agreed and said he was hungry as well. I was completely full, but agreed. I took one last look at the deer and saw large bear-like claw marks on it, hearing a bear roar in my subconsciousness, and I took a look at my hands as we walked away. There were deep red blood stains around my fingertips and deer hair under my nails. We passed the lake and I said, meet me with the horses, I'll just clean up first. Are you okay? You've been quiet for a long time. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm just amazed by what you're telling me. It's quite the trip you've taken, Hunter. Both physical and personal. The way you describe yourself in your story seems so different from the person standing in front of me today. You're right. I think the biggest change in my person happened after getting my wish and sitting in the king's court. Please, do tell. Well, the trip to Angel's Bliss did not take long after our last rest. It was good to be back. We were well received for our return, like conquering warriors, and it felt amazing. I remember looking at the slums where I once lived and entertaining for scraps and copper, and I grinned to myself and thinking, You've come a long way, Hunter. We were led into a room where there was food and water, and we were told to eat and get ourselves clean, cleaned up. We were to meet the king in the second hour. It was fun to see Kedal as well. He had large eyes walking among the high walls of the city, and almost touched everything he walked by inside the castle. You could tell he was not used to seeing such things. When we were ready and waiting, a handmaid came to get us and led us to the great halls of the king, where we were set. King Vash had with him his main advisor, Torbjorn Waterblack, on one side, who I don't like at all, by the way. 
and a female standing on the other. The advisor looked at me grinning and said, Well, looks like the circus clown made it back alive. And there was laughter in the hall. King Vast just looked at us and said, And the biggest one of you has not returned. Where's Vector? And who is this you bring with you? So now Hunter has come to the king's court. Hadurai as well and with their new friend Kedal and that is how those three guys met. It's going to be exciting to see what will happen in the king's court. Because we know at one point they made an enemy of the king. But how did that happen? Well, we just have to continue listening to the podcast to find that out guys. This was this day's episode. See you next week. Goodbye. Thanks for stopping by. If you like cool sound effects like this. Go to our homepage at potbean.nordicdnd.com, click on battlebars.com and let them know Nordic D&D sent you.